Hi, I'm Ileana Douglas, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Here we are going into episode 438 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, Ileana Douglas is going to be joining us. You saw her in Cape Fear, Goodfellas, Welcome to Sweden, Six Feet Under, so many TV shows and movies, and... We're going to be talking about her book, I Blame Dennis Hopper. And let's see, we're also going to be talking about January releases in theaters and on DVD and Blu-ray. And we got so much coming your way. It's the holiday season. This uh, We're going to take next week off. And uh, that's, of course, Christmas and New Year's. And right after the New Year, we have the first guest of 2017 coming your way. Loretta Swift will be joining us. Of course, she was hot lips from MASH on TV. And we're going to be talking all about that and a whole lot more. So get ready for that. But Ileana Douglas is coming up very shortly right here on On Screen and Beyond. So let's get right into it. It is time for Remake Madness. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness coming your way in theaters in January. As far as remakes, not a whole lot. Amityville, the Awakening is going to be coming away. Now, this uh, revives the story of the classic horror story that we all know and has been made over t many, many times. That's coming your way on January 6th. And that's it for remakes. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as upcoming new movies in theaters in January. New movies coming your way in January in theaters. Lucas Till, Rob Lowe, and Danny Glover will be starring in Monster Trucks on January 13th as a high school senior builds a monster truck that uh, gets involved with a subterranean creature, and it's a whole lot of fun action-adventure movie for the whole family. And Faye Dunaway, she's back. She's going to be starring in The Bye-Bye Man on January 13th. January 13th also brings... Sleepless with Jamie Foxx as an undercover police officer. And let's see, uh, January 20th, The Founder with Michael Keaton as it tells the story of McDonald's and A Dog's Purpose with Dennis Quaid, January 27th. with Of course, we had W. Bruce Cameron here, the writers of that. And uh, you can listen to that episode. That was just, uh, what, last week, two weeks ago. And let's see, that's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down Sequel City, it's sequel time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sequel City, well, Underworld. Blood Wars continues the Underworld series of films, and that comes your way January 6th. 
And Triple X, the return of Xander Cage, arrives on January 20th. And Resident Evil, the final chapter, it's theaters on January 27th. And um, I'm not sure it's going to be the final chapter, but <laughs> you never know. And that's it for Sequel City. And next up on screen to be on what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD coming your way in January. January 3rd, Bones, Season 11, Girls, Season 5, The Librarian, Season 2, The Red Skelton Show, In Color, Unreleased Seasons, and Sleepy Hollow, Season 3. January 10th, Look for Archer, Season 7, Homeland, Season 5, Mr. Roboto, Season 2.0, and Star Trek Enterprise, The Complete Series. January 17th, I Love Lucy, Superstar Special Number 2, The Love Boat, Season 3, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and NYPD Blue, Season 12, and Rizzolian Isles, Season 7. And on January 24th, look for Daniel Boone, Season 3, Hooperman, Season 1, and Sherlock, Season 4. And on January 30th, Ballers, Season 2. And that's it for upcoming TV on DVD. Coming your way in January. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD in January? <laughs> movies coming your way on DVD in January, January 3rd. It looks like Blair Witch is coming your way, along with Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life. January 10th, The Accountant and The Birth of a Nation and Deep Water Horizon. January 17th, The Girl on a Train. Keeping Up with the Joneses, Ouija, Origin of Evil. And January 24th, Inferno with Tom Hanks and Light Between Oceans. And January 31st, Masterminds, Disney's Pinocchio, and The Queen of Katwe. And that's it for movies coming your way on DVD in January. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it is TV and Entertainment Time. <laughs> TV and entertainment time, well, 1955's The Honeymooners. Remember that with Jackie Gleason? It's headed to be a remake on TV on CBS. So we'll see how they do that one. And let's see, Reba McIntyre is returning to TV with a new series yet to be titled. But it will be a primetime soap opera. And Alan Thicke, of course, this past week, Jason Seaver from Growing Pains, sadly has passed away. And our thoughts go out to his family. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache. And you moan and groan and woe. Don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity Birthdays, December 20th. Jonah Hill turns 33. December 21st, Samuel L. Jackson turns 68, and Jane Fonda turns 79. December 22nd, Hector Elizondo turns 80, and it looks like uh, December 23rd, Susan Lucci turns 70. And December 24th, Christmas Eve, it is Ryan Seacrest turning 42. And on Christmas Day, December 25th, Jimmy Buffett, all you parrot heads, he's turning 70. That's it for Celebrity Birthdays. And as far as listener birthdays, Bonnie T. on December 20th turns 38. She's in Miami, Florida. And Beth N. of 
Naples, Italy, turns 51 on December 23rd. Want to wish you all a very happy birthday. And if you, a friend or a relative, are going to be having a birthday, be sure to send it to us here at on, feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we'll all wish you a very happy birthday along with our celebrities. And that's it for Celebrity and Listener Birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Ileana Douglas is joining us here. She's got a lot to tell us. Ileana's next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is an actress, director, and producer who was nominated for a Primetime Emmy for her work on Six Feet Under. She also has been seen in many other TV shows and movies, including Cape Fear, Goodfellows, uh, Ghost World, Turner Classic Movies, Entourage, and the list just goes on and on, Stir of Echoes, Welcome to Sweden. She currently has a book out called I Blame Dennis Hopper. It's Ileana Douglas. Ileana, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, Ileana, first off, yes. why are you blaming Dennis Hopper? <laughs> How did you come uh, up with that name? <laughs> well, it's very much, um, uh, it, it goes back to my uh, crazy childhood. My uh, parents were big movie buffs, and they would go to see the movies all the time. But in 1969, they saw the movie Easy Rider, and uh, after my father saw the movie, he convinced my mother that they should start a commune, and uh, so he, le he left his job, and they started a commune, and filled with hippies, and he started a band, and we had animals, and it was all because of um, the movie Easy, Easy Rider. He started actually emulating Dennis Hopper hmm. in the film the character in the movie so the so our whole you know what was supposed to be our middle class you know life in the suburbs of of connecticut uh dramatically changed and we became you know poor grimy hippies and so i always blame dennis hopper for you know my parents having to see that movie but <laughs> so that's what the first story is about but every story that's in the book and you can think of the book as a, I mean, that, I think that's partially why it's doing so well. It's, it's This is a book for people who love movies, and I've always said, you know, everybody's life, I think, is a movie, kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so each chapter is essentially a, a story, a short story about how a film or a film star impacted my life. And so it's really a memoir that's told through movies, and so it begins... That first story begins with this, you know, crazy upbringing that because my parents saw Easy Rider, and of course it culminates with me being cast in a film with Dennis Hopper playing my father figure type lover, and uh, I couldn't wait to meet him so I could blame him for everything that happened to me, but <laughs> instead I had a life-changing experience with him, life-affirming experience, and in which I ended up kind of, you know, forgiving my own parents through meeting Dennis Hopper and, you know, hearing about how many other lives he ruined. But, um, but it's all about the, again, the power of film and the inspiration of film. 
Mm-hmm. And so each story is along those lines. But that's where it begins. It begins with uh, it begins with Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you. You know, if you did ever meet him, and obviously you did, uh, mm-hmm. did you tell him the story behind? You know that that because of him. Oh, absolutely. What did he think sure. about it? <laughs> You know, he shrugged his shoulders. I said, yeah, I have a feeling you ruined a lot of people's lives, didn't you? I mean, the thing about that film, you know, is that Easy Rider, which is, again, this is why I wanted to, you know, incorporate Dennis Hopper into the chat, into the book, is that so much of my work has been, you know, an independent film, doing things on the web series, which has always been independent. And he, you know, the movie Easy Rider really changed the way films were made and distributed. It, it sort of hearkened, you know, the, the independent film, film movement. Right. And he was such a, just a personal hero of mine. You know, he was an actor that worked in the studio system, dropped out, made Easy Rider, uh, you know, came back and it finished off his career going back into the studio system. So I really, really, uh, you know, admired him. And I think that that's what's profound about the film is that, you know, people saw that movie and got on their motorcycle and, you know, it expressed something that I think people were feeling. And certainly it was something that my parents were feeling in 1969, that they didn't want to be, you know, they just moved to the suburbs and uh, we're going to settle down and have this kind of middle-class life. And I think that what the film did was it awakened in them a desire to do something dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Did your dad have the and motorcycle the, and, and everything, too? He didn't, have, he didn't have the motorcycle, but every other hippie. I, I talk very much about it. There was this one hippie named Tom. Again, just looked literally exactly like, I mean, everybody in my childhood looked like Dennis Hopper and he had a chopper. Um, and so, you know, they, he would ride along with, uh, with him on his chopper. Uh, but Tom had the, had the official, the Peter Fonda, Captain America chopper Mm -hmm. as many of them did. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you ever get to, to learn how to ride the motorcycle? Well, I was four when this all started. Oh, I, would ride, <laughs> I would ride on the, I, believe me, I rode on the back of them. And, um, you know, there was an assortment of old uh, sort of um, vintage cars, vintage vans. That, you know, people would paint flower power all over and, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, things to carry the. My father had an, had an ambulance that he bought and painted it bright yellow. And, you know, they used to do put their musical instruments in that and, you know, drive around. And when they weren't, when they didn't have gigs, he'd ride the, uh, the goats around in the, uh, in the ambulance, which was always, uh, uh, hysterical sight driving <laughs> a town with goats in the car. Huh. Now, would you say that your parents with what, what they did and everything, um, brought you into film or was it more your your grandfather who in case some people don't know was melvin douglas and of course a great actor uh do you attribute either one of them to being what led you into acting yes it was absolutely my grandfather um what my parents did 
was that they made me become an observer. You know, they were full tilt into this kind of hippie lifestyle. And so, in a sense, they were in their own movie, and I was just like a young kid observing this movie. Mm-hmm. And when I was about, I would say like by the time I was about six, I kind of figured out that my grandfather was somebody special and that he was an actor. And, you know, I wanted to, and as soon as I found that out, I decided that uh, I wanted to be in his movie. I wanted to be in the black and white, you know, movie mm-hmm. with people drinking champagne and, <laughs> and eating. That seemed, I didn't want to be in the hippie movie because, you know, we were running into so many problems. It was like, you know, the police would come to our house and there was a lot of chaos. And so as a kid, I gravitated much t- more towards my grandfather because, you know, he had fancy cars and it, servants around and so I you know for me that was like oh that's the life I want and as I got older um, he invited me on the set of the film uh, being there and then that's what really cemented it for me I was just determined somehow after watching him uh, shoot a scene from uh, being there with Peter Sellers and Jack Warden Mm -hmm. and getting to sit next to the director Hal Ashby that I just, you know, I cemented that somehow I, I had to I had to be in the movies. So before you even got into acting, you must have met a lot of famous actors. I mean, you know, like you said, Peter Sellers and Jack Warden. Absolutely. I grew up, and again, that's, that's sort of what the book has, is this, you know, I've always thought of myself as kind of a, I'm an insider-outsider in the sense that, I was an outsider because the way we grew up, you know, we didn't have any money and it was very difficult. So I lived in an imaginary world with like posters, you know, movies were everything for me. So, you know, I would watch movies and I would fantasize about these people and, you know, wanting to be uh, in the movies with them. But then the transference of watching Peter Sellers you know, in films, in the Pink Panther, and then actually, you know, staring at him from 20 feet away, mm. <laughs> you know, that just changed my life dramatically. And and so it was that, so I've always maintained, and that's what, you know, my work at Turner Classic Movies is that way too. I maintain that childlike movie, I'm a movie fanatic, but then I also have the insights of being on these film sets and meeting these people and listening to them and overhearing conversations. And yes, when I would visit my grandfather, you know, there would be an assortment of people like uh, Paulette Goddard or Myrna Loy, you know, Maureen Stapleton, uh, Garson Keenan and Ruth Gordon, Gord Vidal. I mean, Robert, the screenwriter, Robert Anderson. So, You know, when I was a little kid, I would just, you know, sit at the table. And even though I didn't really understand what anybody was talking about, I would try to listen in, you know, to the uh, and absorb as much of it as I could. Mm -hmm. And and I got to tell you, uh, the cover of your book, that picture 
that you have on there is it, it's such a beautiful picture of you, and it's it, it brings back. I'm, when I first looked at it, it looked like you know it's Catherine Hepburn or some, you know somebody like that. Yeah. It, it, it it's an amazing picture. Oh, thank you, thank you. So yeah, we, it's that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the my editor at uh, Flatiron. You know, I was sending him. We were going. I have hundreds of photos, and that was one of the hard things of picking photos for the book because I have so many, you know, photos of people that I've worked with. And uh, I sent him, you know, the one photo of, of me when I was a kid. This was like, you know, after I saw being there, I, I became kind of obsessed with the movie and then I was trying to recreate on my own, you know, the walking on water scene, which I did out of my, the pond. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, elaborately staged this thing. I don't even know how I did it with one shot. And there's no negative. I actually just happened to find that picture and I sent it to my editor for laughs. And he was like, this is the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the idea of the cover was juxtaposed with that kid became the girl on the right, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of really what my journey has been, you know, from just the almost impossible odds, um, of growing up with no money, really no way to get in, in movies or show business, even though my grandfather was very famous and won two Academy Awards that didn't really, you know, that didn't, that didn't really open any doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so, you know, going to New York, it's one sort of crazy improbable story after another. And yet in the midst of that, I'm able to spy, you know, Lee Marvin walking down the street and have a conversation <laughs> with him or, you know, it just, because I really believed you know, I would watch these movies about girls moving to New York City and having their dreams come true. And on some level, I really made that happen. I mean, I always loved, there was a movie I used to love called The Best of Everything, you know, Hope Lang and Diane Baker, mm-hmm. Susie Parker and Joan Crawford, you know, they worked for Joan, a tough boss like Joan Crawford. And that's, you know, I moved to New York and I worked for a film publicist. And again, I wanted to be an actor, but I was also very happy just being in the city and being able to pay my rent and working for the film publicist, Peggy Siegel. So I could have gone in a number of directions. I just knew I wanted to be in show business. So how did you get from being working for a publicist to actually getting a job in TV or movie, whichever was first? Well, the, the the first crazy improbable story was that while I was working for Peggy Siegel, and and again, of course, I went to acting school and I was did little regional theater stints, but you know that never got me anywhere. The, my first job came about because I was working for Peggy Siegel and I was answering the phones, and the director Frank Perry came in. They were doing a movie called Hello Again. He came running in and, you know, looked at me and said, you're an actor, right? And I said, yes, Frank, I'm an actor who answers the phone. <laughs> and then he said, come in my office. I may have a part for you. Can you do, a, you know, a monologue? Wow. I, you know, he looked at my boss. I did the monologue as 
he looked at my boss, Peggy Siegel. He said, Peggy, I'm taking her. <laughs> and, you know, got me in the car. Next thing I know, I'm driving downtown. I'm meeting Shelly Long, and oh, he's explaining what the scene is going to be. And, you know, and then, you know, I, in the next few hours, they put me back in the car. I was back at work. <laughs> and, um, and that's how I got my SAG card. Wow. Because they call what they call a Taft Hartley you, meaning, you know, and that's how I got in. I don't know if I ever would have gotten in SAG any other way, but that story made its way around the Brill Building, which, you know, the Brill Building is so famous for music, of course. Mm -hmm. Beautiful building. And there were all these filmmakers, and that story made its way around the halls. And one of the people was Martin Scorsese's assistant. And she said, I heard about the story with you and the movie. Hey, do you have a resume you could give me? So I gave her my resume. And again, under special skills, because I had done a play in school where I got murdered. And, and the director said, you have a great scream. So literally, because I had no credits, I put special skills, great legs, you know, milking a goat, blood-curdling screams, you know. And, you know, lo and behold, I'm there answering the phone, and she called. She's, hey, do you really have a great scream? You know, Marty needs to dub screams for Last Temptation of Christ. So cut to improbable job, you know, like a, something that a publicist made up. The next thing I know, I'm down on a soundstage, you know, screaming for Martin Scorsese, and I ended up dubbing these screams in the film, and he liked my voice, and so he hired me to dub, um, you know, parts of the movie of The Last Temptation of Christ. And so, again, while I was in the midst of um, talking to him and doing my work and talking about movies, that's how I ended up auditioning for New York Stories. And I, you know, got the part in New York Stories, and so, you know, my first couple jobs were, were just starting, you know, I went from doing New York stories to then being in Goodfellas, but I was even in, I was in Goodfellas. I still didn't even have an agent yet. Wow. And you know, I was six, talking to Lorraine Bracco. She was the one who got me an agent, you know, cause I still, and that's that sort of insider outsider thing. I, I was just thrilled to be on the set like every day watching everything. Yeah, um, geez. So, were, so you, you, were you nervous the, the first time when that director came up to you while you were answering the phones and he says, you know, come with me, I need an actress, and, and you know, all of a no, sudden you're going? Because, no, because I always anticipated that something like, you know, this was going to happen. I used to walk, you know, my first day of work when I worked at the grill building, I walked through the hall and, you know, I got all, I was all dressed up and, you know, I got on the elevator and Warren Beatty and Elaine May were on the elevator Jeez. and they were talking about Ishtar, you know, <laughs> the, the movie that they were editing, wow. which had not even come out yet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I knew, you know, as, as you do when you're young and you have a, just a purpose, I just, you know, I knew that somehow I was going to make it in the movie business. You, you know, I just didn't know how. Um, but no, I was fully, you know, that's what I write about in my book is that, you know, what was crazy 
was that I actually had a couple monologues ready to go. And, you know, I knew who Frank Perry was and I, you know, I knew some of the films that he had directed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, 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 there was always a comfort level, even in a tiny part like that, was that not only could it, he's like, okay, you can act, but you're also very personable. I mean, I knew all about his films and I could, you know, so I was, directors were always very comfortable having me around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I write about the, actually some of the sadness I felt when after I got in New York stories and I had to, you know, <laughs> actually becoming a successful actor, I really missed working for Peggy Siegel because, you know, the experience of being around directors like Norman Jewison and uh, Barry Levinson and Brian De Palma and being behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, just listening to them, um, you know, because not these people didn't know I was an actor. I was just there, you know, working on their behalf. The only person who knew I was an actor was uh, John Patrick Shanley. He was the only one I sort of confided in that I, you know, because <laughs> he would, he, when we were doing Moonstruck, it's hard to believe, you know, he had a lot of free time on his hand before he became an Oscar winning screenwriter. Mm-hmm. But so he'd call up and, you know, talk on the phone for a long time. So he would be the only one I'd tell that I actually wanted to do something aside from be a, you know, pub- publicist assistant. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. So, so what made you decide to do the book? Uh, you know, was it people pushing you and saying, Hey, you really should do this. You got great stories or, or how did it come about? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've always, you know, from one of the beginning of, you know, doing movies, I'm, I've always, and this probably comes from my, my grandfather was such a great storyteller and, you know, it's always been like a few, little bit of downtime on a set. Hey, tell the crazy story about Dennis Hopper, you know, or how you met Dennis Hopper and, you know, but I just, I didn't want to do, I wanted there to be some context to it. But then when I started working for uh, Turner Classic Movies, and that's really become such a part of my life, film, doing film preservation and doing the Trailblazing Women series and talking about preserving women's films, I thought, okay, this is an interesting through line because movies were so much a part of my life. And I felt as if I could, that the through line for me was to tell these stories through the films and the filmmakers I admire. And I got the idea when I had met the film director, Mike Nichols, and I went uh, with this another director I worked with. Uh, so many names I can drop in one sentence. Right. Mike Gordon Perrin, <laughs> who was the uh, uh, director of a movie I was in called Picture Perfect. Mm-hmm. And we, after the movie, we went to we went to see this. Uh, they were going to be showing The Graduate, and I I said, oh, let's go see. You know, Mike Nichols is going to be talking about The Graduate, and my only thought was I wanted to go see The Graduate with Mike Nichols talking and get him to sign my uh, Nichols and May album. And so when I stood and we were standing in line and Glenn Gordon Karen couldn't believe I bought this album for him to sign. 
I was like, what? I want him to sign it, you know? <laughs> and uh, when I handed him the album, you know, he not only recognized me, but said some really complimentary things, but he said one really interesting thing, which was, he said, you know what I like about you is that you're both in the movie and you're outside the movie. It's as if you're one of us. Hmm. And somehow you're in the audience with us and then you also are on screen. Like, you're always the character that seems to have gotten in the movie, but is also winking at us, you know, in the audience. Right. Jeez. And it just kind of, I said, you know, that's such an interesting thought, because not only have you described a lot of the movie performances, but you've actually described my life, which was this idea of being a kid and being an observer of everyone and sometimes I'm in the movie and sometimes I'm outside of the movie. And again, that's the perspective of each story. So again, that's why they're fun reads is that they almost seem like they're mythical, you know, mm -hmm. that they, it's hard to believe that you have this whole experience. And then, you know, again, with Dennis Hopper, and then you're working with Dennis Hopper, et cetera. So a lot of those, uh, a lot of the stories have that kind of uh, crazy twist, like a, almost like an O. Henry twist. Mm -hmm. um, each story ha has that. And each person seems to have evolved and kind of stayed in my movie. Most of the people I've done films with, I sometimes stay in touch. I mean, there's a crazy chapter uh, about a, a movie I did called Bella Mafia with uh, Jennifer Tilly and Nastasia Kinski and Vanessa Redgrave about a movie where everything that could go wrong goes wrong and then the it, the, the, it was a miniseries and it was like a huge hit. I mean, we never would have believed it when we were shooting it because it was like a farce. You know, it was like the play noises off everything that could go wrong went wrong mm, and i wrote about the experience of that of you know call and calling it the roulette wheel of insanity because you never know when something you know can can go right or go wrong and juxtaposing it with the television show that i was in that everybody loves called action mm -hmm. which you know got all these garnered these amazing reviews and the cover of TV Guide and it was canceled after 13 episodes. <laughs> so, you know, just a crazy juxtaposition of that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there's that O. Henry twist again. Yeah, jeez. Well, Ileana, um, obviously... You, you said that your grandfather had the gift of telling stories and you obviously have gotten that from him because it's i mean i can tell right now that this book is going to be fantastic because just the few stories you've told us if you've got more in there which you obviously would uh it, it's a book that everybody wants to get and it's a it'd be a good book for any film lover who uh at this time of year you know give it Definitely. to uh, as a gift and uh, uh I'd, I'd like to finish up though with two final questions sure now everybody who I've had, I've had over 437 people on the show, and they all say it's the hardest question I, I ask. But, uh -oh. but, but, <laughs> since you are host on uh, Turner Classic Movies, this should be a piece of cake for you. <laughs> so the question is the two the two questions. 
One, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Yes, that is always tough. Um, <laughs> I would say, I mean, my favorite movies, I'm, I'm probably, you know, going to go with uh, Billy. I mean, Billy Wilder is my favorite director. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, any any movie, that's sort of cheating. Any, any no, that's movie fine. Billy Wilder ever made yeah. is great. But um, All About Eve is probably my, which is, Directed by, written and directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. It's probably my favorite all time movie. Mm-hmm. My num- my number one, um, and then Billy Wilder. And then as far as um, as far as television shows go, uh, I would say my favorite show is uh, probably I'm going to reach back and and go with your show of shows. Oh, a classic. Sid Caesar and yes. Imogene Coco. I just. I discovered it when I was a kid through a movie. They they put out a movie in the seventies called Ten from Your Show of Shows. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was one of the funniest things I ever saw. And through that I discovered uh probably Woody Allen and Neil Simon and Mel Brooks, all from your show of shows, Carl Reiner, of course. But those whenever I'm you know, whenever I need a laugh I I I put on my uh, the your show of shows you know mm-hmm. from the skit like from here to obscurity or aggravation boulevard is you know which is a takeoff of um, sunset boulevard or um, you know when they do uh, your you know this is your life yep and that that those are my but aggravation boulevard is probably my I think one my all time favorite skit. Of all time, I don't think anything can, yeah. can top it. So yeah. you mentioned Kyle Reiner; he was a guest here a couple of years ago, I think it was now, and yeah. uh, he could tell stories, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you for joining us, and everybody should go out and get your book. Uh, I blame Dennis Hopper and uh, Ileana. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Some great stories. Ileana Douglas, thank you so much for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And we have more guests coming your way. Uh, And, of course, this is the Christmas season. It is no better time than to go out and get I Blame Dennis Hopper. All right? And you can get some great stories there from Ileana and uh, enjoy that. And that would be a great stocking stuffer. And... Like I said, we got a lot of guests coming our way, and I hope you'll be listening in 2017 here at On Screen to Beyond. Like I said, next week we take it off, and we'll be back with our first guest of 2017 with Loretta Swit, and then we've got a whole bunch of other people coming your way. So I hope you will continue to listen to On Screen to Beyond. Most of all, tell a friend. That's the best way to get the word out. And we have uh, our back catalog. You can go to either iTunes or you can uh, jump at uh, onscreenandbeyond.com. And you can see every single one of our episodes with all these fascinating people that we had over the years. And uh, we got more coming. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week. First off, Merry Christmas to everybody. Have a happy new year. So until next week, when do we once again take you on screen and beyond? I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Uh-huh.